Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung Jr. and my brother Rick, and we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, well, here we are in the last weekend in January, the first month of 2022, and everyone is watching the news as to what's taking place around the world, and it seems like these events are being lifted right off the pages of Bible prophecy. Well, it certainly does. I know the main thing that people are watching right now is the situation in Russia and Ukraine, but that could be kind of the first domino in, in, in a series of events that could take place that, you know, essentially are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And like you said, uh, taking uh, a page right out of the scriptures from Ezekiel. Of course, we have Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, we have Israel Madad, and Itamar Marcus that will be talking about the situation in Israel as we are watching uh, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, the government, and uh, everything, and even a, a report on snow on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. So let's get started with our first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Well, I've got with me on the line Ken Timmerman. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs. Ken, there's a lot to get to, so let's go ahead and get started. The first story that we would like to talk about is, of course, the Russia and the Ukraine situation. That is something that has dominated the news. And I'd love to get an update on that situation, but I'd also like to talk to you, if at all possible, uh, I've seen a lot of stories in the news this week talking about Russia and Ukraine and China and Taiwan and how those two stories may come together in the future. And you've been talking about that for weeks now. So can you give us an update? Well, uh, yes, we have been talking about this uh, quite a bit, Rick, and, and for a very good reason. Uh, the, the key thing for everybody to remember is this. America's national security interest in wherever it may be, whether it's in Taiwan, whether it's in Ukraine, uh, or whether it's in uh, Latin America, is maintaining a deterrent, uh, making sure that our enemies understand that we have strategic objectives, we have interests, we will defend those interests, and adversaries had better not attack those interests. Right now, we are, I, I believe, that the deterrent capability of the United States has been dramatically reduced during the first year of the Biden administration. I believe that they have made strategic errors uh, in dealing with Ukraine and with Taiwan that have led the Chinese and the Russians to believe that they can get away with whatever it is they want. Now, I don't think, and I, I believe I said this on the program, I don't believe that either Russia or China will make a move militarily before the Beijing Olympics, which are set to start in the, the first week of February. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that is a very short-term uh, timeout, if you wish. Uh, but it is important to keep that in mind. And many things are happening behind the scenes. There are diplomatic talks between the Americans and the Europeans, the EU, between the U.S. and Russia, uh, between uh, Ukraine and various countries, including, believe it or not, countries like Turkey that have been supporting Ukraine both militarily and with technology. Well, that is an interesting part of the equation here. I saw this week that even though they have growing ties together, it looks like President Erdogan has come out and said that Russia should not invade Ukraine. That seems to me to be a very interesting development. It is, and it's very interesting to see Erdogan getting involved, dipping his toes into this crisis, which otherwise you would say, well, you know, what interest does he have in Ukraine? Well, his interests are several fold. Number one, he's been selling the Ukrainians uh, fairly sophisticated drones. This has angered the Russians. They're not happy about that. Uh, it gives the Ukrainians a capability they did not have before. 
Uh, but at the same time, remember, he's buying S-400 missiles, these air defense missiles from Russia, and is trying to strengthen his ties with the Russians. He is engaged with the Russians in Syria, most of the time in a cooperative manner, but from time to time they've had clashes. So Erdogan is, is, is you know, really playing an interesting role here. For, for once, he is trying to position himself as NATO's peacemaker, as the intermediary between NATO, which is really on a, on a razor's edge with Russia over Ukraine, and the Russians. Uh, he has in, engaged the Russians. He has engagements with the Russians. He has, he's buying military equipment from the Russians. Uh, but at the same time, he's trying to, as I say, serve as this intermediary to defuse the tensions in Ukraine. Well, Ken, we've been focusing on the response of the Biden administration and U.S. diplomacy in this crisis, but this is on Europe's doorstep. What is Europe and the European Union doing about this situation in Russia? Well, uh, as in many other cases, the Europeans are divided amongst themselves. They do not have a coherent policy towards the Ukraine crisis. The Germans, uh, for example, are uh, very eager to have this Nord Stream 2 pipeline open up. It has been finished. It's been completed as of September, but they're still waiting some final uh, uh, authorizations from the German government. It is apparently very popular inside Germany itself because the Germans believe that by doubling the capacity of their gas imports from Russia, they'll be able to lower prices, right? So consumers will be paying less to heat their homes uh, during, during the winter. So it is a, there's a certain popularity towards it. The German government up until just this past week has really been very uncooperative with the United States and with NATO when it comes to imposing sanctions on Russia. Uh, but uh, over the past week, the new chancellor, Stoltz, has said that, uh, well, if Russia invades Ukraine, we might, we just might uh, block that Nord Stream pipeline from going through. It's the first time that he's made that kind of comment. Meanwhile, the French... The French, who are going to who who have the uh, rotating presidency of the European Union, the French are trying to to kind of herd the cats and have a uh, European approach towards the Ukraine crisis. So far, they haven't had much success. Uh, the Germans again have very different interests at stake, and uh, you have these new members of uh, Europe, Poland, uh, Slovakia, uh, the Czech Republic, uh, members of NATO as well who are very, very worried of Russian uh, expansionism. And that is something that the rest of Europe doesn't really share. Ken, I'd like to ask you one more question on this Russia-Ukraine situation. And this one is more of a hypothetical. And let's say you were advising the Biden administration on what to do well, with Russia and Ukraine, and they probably wouldn't ask you because you're not exactly their cup of tea. But if you were advising them, what would be the case that you would make for American military intervention in Russia, should they invade in Ukraine? And what would be your case against American military involvement should Russia invade Ukraine? Well, okay, look, <laughs> the, the, the Biden administration has made error after error after error uh, in, in this regard. Remember, just, just the, I think it was day two of the administration in January when they lifted sanctions on the Nord Stream pipeline, when they uh, also... Uh, shut down the uh, XL pipeline coming in from Canada. Uh, just this past week, and I wrote this in the New York Post, uh, they have intervened to block a pipeline bringing gas from Israel to Greece. Why is that important? Because 
it would give the Europeans non-Russian sources of gas. So the Biden administration uh, has been more influenced by the ecological radicals, the, 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 envir- the so-called environmentalists who are, who are uh, crying uh, uh, climate change and the, the end of the like, like AOC, the end of the world is upon us in five years or six years or 10 years. The delay seems to get a little bit longer every time she opens her mouth. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, are, they have been taken over by these environmental wackos who want to shut down the oil and gas business in the United States and in with, with our Western allies. So what has that done? That has reinforced Russia. Those policies from the beginning of the Biden administration have emboldened Russia, have empowered Russia, have enriched Russia. Get oil is now at $86 a barrel. The Russians are making out like gangbusters, and so are the Iranians. And this is a direct result of the Biden policy. Now, if they wanted to turn things around, they could change those policies, go back to the Trump policies of promoting U.S. oil and gas. Uh, and, and we were energy independent at that point. We can be energy uh, independent once again very quickly if they change course. They're not going to do that, but that would be my advice. Well, Ken, that brings us to my final question, and we're going to move away from Russia and the situation there in Ukraine, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this situation in Afghanistan. It's been a few months since they've been out of the news, but the Taliban is in Europe now, and they're basically their first talks since the takeover there in Afghanistan. Could you give us an update on what these talks are about and what the Taliban is looking for? Well, here's the thing that the Taliban wants more than anything else. They want the Europeans and the United States to release something like $10 billion in assets from the Afghan central government that are being held in the Federal Reserve Bank in New York and by uh, the European Central Bank. Uh, That is an active case. So they sent one of their top diplomats to meet with uh, the Europeans in Oslo, Norway, this past week to talk about releasing those assets. And they're making the claim, of course, a million children are going to die of starvation if they don't have that money, uh, which they claim is theirs. Uh, and, and the Western powers, as in these talks, are responding by saying, well, look, we would like to have some guarantees that you're not going to, again, enslave women, as you did the previous uh, time when you were in power. And so right now, I, I would say that's at a standstill. In the United States, uh, there is a court case uh, involved uh, involving these $7 billion of, of, of Afghan assets that is in, in uh, process right now in New York. The U.S. government is supposed to give its response on what it would like to happen with those assets in the coming days. Uh, there may be some uh, arrangement made, for example, to uh, release some of the money for humanitarian purposes, but not to release it to the Taliban government, but perhaps to non-governmental organizations. Well, we'll have to continue to keep tabs on the Taliban and what's taking place there in Europe and what's taking place there in Afghanistan. I have to think, Ken, that situation and the way it was handled by our current administration there in Afghanistan has to have an effect on how Putin is viewing this administration and judging what our response would be in this Russian-Ukrainian crisis. Do you agree with that, Ken? Absolutely right. They see weakness in Washington. Weakness is dangerous. It is an invitation to uh, violence. Well, Ken, thank you so much for taking your time out to speak with us. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan in his Middle East News Update, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
I'm Liz Kramer with Mission Network News. Tensions remain high in Ukraine where Western powers fear a Russian invasion. But Eric Mock with Slava Gospel Association says it's important to remember that Russia and Ukraine have been at war for years. People in eastern Ukraine still suffer from artillery fire and infrastructure damage. An invasion would likely move through this region first. But Mock says faithful churches in the war zone continue to show the love of Jesus. Pray for peace in Ukraine. And thousands of refugees have fled Afghanistan since the Taliban takeover. Greg Kelly with World Mission recently visited one of the camps in Pakistan. 35 people there died in the past two months from hunger and cold. But what they fled from was even worse. Many families at the camp lost someone to attacks by the Taliban. Kelly says the global church has an opportunity to help. Come alongside World Mission as they provide supplies in Jesus' name. You're listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. And we're back here on Prophecy Today, and this is the time of the program where we do our regularly scheduled Middle East news update with Dave Dolan. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be on, Rick. Well, there's a lot to get to, Dave, so let's get started. And probably the first thing we want to talk about, and maybe the first thing in order of importance as well, is the situation in Syria right now. And the dynamics are changing between Russia, Israel, and Syria. And this is very important politically and prophetically. Could you talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Well, yes, Rick. It began last weekend when the Russian foreign ministry made two announcements, separate announcements. One was that they were now beginning joint air patrols with the Syrian Air Force. Uh, They were specific that the patrols, they've already carried one out, would be down around the Golan Heights. They would be along the Euphrates River and in the north of Syria. Well, of course, U.S. forces are operating in the northeast of Syria, and Israeli forces have, as we've discussed many times, been attacking Iranian positions uh, periodically. And the last such attack was at the port of Latakia. We discussed that a couple of weeks ago, and that was the second announcement that they're sending ground special forces, quote-unquote, And they actually showed a a picture in the Russian uh, papers, uh, released a picture of them uh, guarding the port. Uh, Of course, Israel struck Iranian and Hezbollah munitions dumps there a couple weeks ago, and the Syrians were not happy about that. And obviously the Russians weren't as well. Well, these joint patrols are not only with the MiG jets that Russia has supplied to Syria and Russia's own Sukhoi jets are taking part, but also a spy aircraft, the A-50, 
that is an intelligence gathering plane. And they specifically said they would be using that around the Golan Heights. Well, that can look deep into Israel. It can see troop movements. It can see all sorts of things. So this is a game changer, really. It probably spells the end, Israeli analysts are saying, of Israeli air operations and um, missile attacks into uh, Syria from either the coast, uh, Lebanon, or from Israeli territory. And it may spell the end of American uh, flights in the northeast of Syria, uh, where, of course, Iran has a, a proxy forces stationed just across the border in uh, Iraq. So this as the U.S. is drawing down its forces in Iraq. And all this is also being tied, Rick, to the crisis in Ukraine, that the Russians are becoming more and more aggressive, not just in Europe, but in the Middle East as well. And that this signals that they will be fully backing Syria if there is a full war. Uh, this year or next year, if Iran and Israel go at it and Hezbollah gets involved, it now looks like Russia will be actively involved in that fighting, which, of course, uh, takes us to a whole new level. So just to be clear to our listeners, Dave, you're basically saying this is a significant shift of Russia to an anti-Israel stance. Is that correct? That's the way it looks, and uh, the Israelis are not commenting, the government, I should say, and military leaders are not commenting publicly yet on this, but that's what the analysts and the reporters that are talking behind the scenes to them hear them saying. Uh, again, Israel, basically, the Russians were looking the other way. Uh, they understood that Iran uh, has been attacking Israel, uh, you know, in, on the seas, and uh, sending rockets into the Golan and different things that have happened over the past few years. And so they sort of stayed out of it, basically, and let the IDF operate. They did insist on notification over the past year and a half when Israel was going to do something, and Israel's been uh, notifying that that's ever since a uh, um, jet was knocked down, a Russian jet was knocked down by Syrian anti-aircraft missiles that were aimed at Israeli aircraft operating nearby. But uh, this comes as they're strengthening their naval uh, presence at Latakia, and they have their main air base right next door to it. And uh, that has been beefed up greatly in recent uh, years as well. So we see the end-time prophecies uh, falling into place. We know that Russia will one day uh, lead an invasion into Israel, aligned with Iran, with mm. Ethiopia, with Libya, and a few others are, are noted there. So uh, just another uh, move in that direction, this seems. And certainly the stage is being set, and we talk about that often here, but this is a concrete example of that. Well, we'll move on. We'll keep tabs on that situation and get back to it in future weeks. But let's move on right now. And uh, recently, the International Holocaust Remembrance Day took place. How is that remembered in Israel? And uh, what's the importance of looking back on the Holocaust? Well, Rick, the Israelis have mixed uh, opinions and feelings about uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Day because that was formed by the UN only in 2005, so only 16 years ago. And it's actually not only about the Holocaust. It's meant to commemorate all, quote, genocides that have happened in history around the world, the uh, Armenian genocide and others as well. 
So it's not exclusively about Israel. But the main objection is it's based on the uh, date of the liberation of the Auschwitz death camp, which, of course, is a very important development, and the Israelis acknowledge that. And that was in uh, 1945 in January. But in 1943, in April, the fight against the Nazis from the Jewish people literally began with the Warsaw Uprising the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, in which thousands of Jewish males mostly fought against uh, Polish and uh, Nazi forces, German forces that were occupying the area. Some of them escaped to save their lives, etc. And that's, of course, a positive, a more positive development, whereas uh, remembering Auschwitz is just a tragedy. Over a million Jews perished there. So they do, of course, remember it, but um, they don't mark that day as a Holocaust day. That comes every, usually April, it's uh, in between Passover and Independence Day is when that's uh, marked in Israel. But they are glad for the uh, note of it around the world that occurred on Thursday, and they uh, are glad that there were speeches given, and the Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Michael Herzog, whose brother is President Herzog, and his father was Heim Herzog, also president, so an important family, but he gave a speech and gave an interview about it, and others ha- did as well. So it's important to mark it, but it's not the date that Israel observes it. Well, another area of the Middle East that I'd love to get your take on, Dave, and we've only got a few minutes left here, but maybe you could help us to navigate this situation. Israel is looking at the, the, the Yemenite rebels, the Houthis, that have attacked the United Arab Emirates. And they, they do that basically because they are upset about the Abraham Accords or the peace agreement with Israel. And so Israel is looking at maybe having a preemptive strike against Yemen. Yes, it's a strategic country because, of course, it sits right at the Strait of Bab el-Mandeb. That's the entrance into the Red Sea from the Indian Ocean. And Rick, it's only at its widest, about 20 miles across. And Yemen is on the right side. And uh, Djibouti and Eritrea are on the um, west side of the strait. And Eritrea is the scene of a war right now, a rebellion that's been going on for decades, really, but it's just been revived in the last year. And who's helping the Eritrean rebels? Iran. It's been sending them weapons. Mm. And Yemen uh, captured a UAE ship there uh, a few weeks ago and, um, and seized it. They could easily attack Israeli uh, boats, Israel's only uh, water route to the uh, red uh, through the red sea into iran is through that strait and right past yemen so uh, the port of elat is also within range now of these uh, uh unmanned vehicles that uh, the houthis sent up to the uae they sent another one on monday that american patriot anti-aircraft forces shot down but a week before that as we discussed last week they hit an oil facility and some other targets in the uae and it's about the same distance to those targets from yemen as the port of a lot in southern israel is so yemen is becoming a real military threat plus they made a statement after the seizure of that uae boat that they considered any friend of israel to be an enemy of theirs and that they would step up their anti-Israel actions in the area. They basically said that out loud. So the Israelis are very, very concerned about that. It just adds another serious 
front, as it were, to this Iranian uh, war, basically, the shadow war, we're calling it, but it's probably going to develop into a full war. And, Rick, that's the other thing that there's concern about. If Ukraine is invaded by Russia, that that may be the time that Iran attacks Israel using the world's attention being elsewhere and U.S. and NATO forces being focused elsewhere using that window of opportunity. So there's a lot of nerves right now in Jerusalem. Well, David, so much happening in the world today and so much of it foretold of in in Bible prophecy. And we see all these things coming into place. We thank you for keeping your eye on this situation. And we thank you for bringing your insight to our listeners here on Prophecy Today. Well, it's a blessing to be able to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, we'll have more. Stay tuned with us right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with Rick, we're looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And specifically today, we're going to focus in the next half hour with Winky Madad, Yisrael Madad, who lives in Shiloh, and Itamar Marcus, who lives in Kiryat Arba, which is outside of Hebron. And we're going to focus with these two gentlemen, specifically the prophecies that are related to us in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 34 through 38. So, Rick, let's talk to Winky Madad in Shiloh. Winky Madad is with us today. He's the former mayor of Shiloh, and he's our expert on Israeli politics and things taking place in Israel. Um, first, I guess, first question I want to ask, I noticed there was some snow this week. Uh, you've gotten some snow there in, uh, in Jerusalem, in Israel, which is a rare occurrence. Well, Jerusalem had a lot more snow than Shiloh did where I uh, live. Uh, the higher up, and I think the more south, got a lot more snow. Uh, I was basically uh, was during the night and then disappeared by uh, mid-afternoon. It was kind of more of a wet, thick snow out by us. Not a dry, powdery stuff. It really is nice, actually. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, fun in Jerusalem, and uh, uh, which is a little bit higher than us by 100 meters. They had a hill, and they had uh, dozens and dozens of people coming for uh, sledding down the hill, which is fairly unique here in Israel. Uh, but yeah, everything is okay. It's a short but enjoyable. Well, maybe in Mount Hermon in the north you get a little snow, but not a whole lot where you are, correct? Well, in Hermon, it was probably about a foot and a half or so. Uh, by us, it was about uh, eight inches or so, maybe at the most. Wow. 
Well, I'm glad that you made it through that. Getting into the news, and the first thing I want to comment on, and I'd just like your comments uh, as an Israeli Jew. During this week, we had the World Holocaust Remembrance Day, and I was wondering if you would like to say any words about that to our listeners. Well, it was decided uh, through the UN institutions that the day on which the Auschwitz death camp was liberated uh, would be the international Holocaust Day. Uh, and so we have two Holocaust Days actually to mark. Uh, unfortunately, I think too many uh, people who do not like Jews don't like either of them. Uh, we see an uh, uptick in some of the uh, more violent reactions against Jews, whether they're in synagogue hostages or on streets in London and other places. And of course, there's no comparison to the Holocaust period itself. But the Holocaust started from somewhere. It started with thinking that Jews have too much power or they don't like uh, non-Jews or they're just strangers and different. And we have to hate someone, so let's everybody pick on the Jews. And so it's important that a Holocaust Remembrance Day be held uh, and education activities. That period was a very difficult one for the Jewish people and for other people. Some people, non-Jews, showed a lot of heroism in helping Jews, far, far from being enough. And the message basically remains with us still, that people should learn to love their fellow men, to know that the differences that do exist are not endangering one to the other, but that people should be able to live differently if they choose, and not to believe in conspiracy theories or things that can't be proven, and then you believe in them more because I can't disprove them when they're not really real. And so I guess these are some of the messages, I think, every year in remembering the Holocaust that should be kept with us for the future. We know the Holocaust was severe persecution in Europe from Nazi Germany, and after the Holocaust, a lot of Jews fled that persecution and came to Israel, uh, and that was instrumental in establishing the state of Israel. I saw an interesting tweet from the, you this week where you talk about potentially Jews will be fleeing another hot spot uh, in the Ukraine if Russia is to invade the Ukraine. And uh, you were just talking about how Israel holds a unique place in the world right now as a place of safety for Jews to come to. Well, one of the reasons the Holocaust was so terrible was because the state of Israel did not exist. The reason I, I put that up, uh, someone had passed it around and I thought it was relevant, because there are a lot of Jews still in uh, Ukraine. In the eastern part, which is probably more closer to a possible invasion route that the Russians are threatening at this moment, the reality that Jews in large numbers, whether incidentally or purposely, could be targeted in a, in a scene of violence is, is relevant because Israel is the home of the Jews, uh, between you and me and everybody listening, whether they like it or not. And uh, the fact that sometimes people decide to move for positive reasons, whether it's cultural, religious, uh, or identity reasons, or whether they feel threatened economically or physically, that's what the state of Israel is for. And, and at the present moment, uh, Ukraine is a possibility of a fact Jews might have to get out quickly. And uh, the uh, idea that Israel is here for the Jews 
should be strengthened uh, among all Jewish diasporic communities, and I hope that uh, we don't have to receive them at an, uh, you know, at a moment's notice in an emergency, but rather as a process of an ingathering of the exiles as prophesied in the Bible. We move away from the Holocaust, and we talk about, I'd like to talk about another subject, and, and, and basically the Biden administration in the United States right now is in talks with Tehran, with Iran, uh, about a nuclear agreement that will keep them from getting a nuclear weapon. But they're in talks with a nation, you know, if we go back to the Holocaust, we're in, they're in talks with a nation that really has proxies that it backs that are committed to the destruction of the Jewish state of Israel and, and not just removing them back to the 1967 borders, but basically from the, from the sea to the Jordan River. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and why we should be concerned about that and what it means for Israel? Well, look, too many people especially diplomats, politicians, and people who have responsibility for moving troops if they have to, uh, don't know enough history, or if they do think they know history, they don't understand the undercurrents of why historical events happen the way they are. And in today's, I think, public attitude, people try to be very, um, I can't even find a proper adjective, understanding of people who are very aggressive, who are very vocal about their aggressiveness and their desires to do bad uh, to certain people. And in this case, the United States and the other countries uh, involved in these talks uh, seemingly don't realize that with the experience of the past 20 to 25 years under the Khomeini regime into uh, a country that wants to eradicate Israel, hates Jews, doesn't like Zionism, thinks the Holocaust uh, is a subject for uh, cartoons. But not only that, they've been sponsoring terror in Saudi Arabia, in, in Yemen, in, in, in other places in the Middle East. They've laid bombs in Argentina. They're talking to the Iranians if they're some sort of normal people who just have a problem with nuclear energy. And this is what we're looking at from, from Jerusalem when we look at the talks going on. And combine that, if I can link up with my the previous question, uh, how, for example, Germany and other countries are willing to let Russia go along with Ukraine because of their gas problem. Uh, we have a major problem on our hands. And the people of morality, people of religious belief, people of ethics need to step up and not uh, deal and let things happen. Like sometime, in some form, it happened also in the 1930s. This is also... Uh, a, a lesson that we have to keep in our minds. Very much so, and I agree with you on every level there. And it, it, it's very concerning, and we d we need to keep a close eye on it for sure. Well, Winky, my final question that I'd like to talk to you about, and um, I know you are in the area of Judea and Samaria. There are some reports coming out right now of destruction of biblical sites, and, and it, it almost seems like they're destruction of Jewish presence on biblical sites in Judea and Samaria, trying to erase Jewish history there. Could you talk about that and tell us what's going on? Well, look, in, in a general sense, we have seen various Islamic or Islamist forces blowing up statues and, and archaeological uh, remnants. But what we have here specifically in Israel is that since one of the foundations of the so-called Palestinianism of, of, a, of a 
Arab-Palestine nationalism, which I have doubts about, but that's another issue, they feel challenged by the fact that we have a real Jewish identity with Judea and Samaria and other places in the country. Because we know that the heartland of the Jewish people, which includes Shiloh, Bethel, Hebron, and other places, is, is where our, our prophets and our priests and our, our, our kings walked, talked, and, and, and did what they did. And this threatens the Palestinian narrative. And so they target these sites. In, in fact, there's a special article in the Oslo Accords that deals with this. And we're very disappointed that if, in addition to trying to physically hurt us through their terror, through their stone throwing, they also target our national identity through archaeological historical sites, doing damage or, or, or altering them or, or, or doing anything else to wipe out what they view as a hostile element because it denies their narrative. And uh, I hope that uh, civilized people around the world will pay attention to this and not think of it as something that we're just making up, uh, but goes to the root of the conflict between Jews and Arabs here in, in the land of Israel. Who has the better historical uh, right? Who has the better historical mm. cultural right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's very important. Well, Winky, thank you so much. And listener, thank you so much for putting up with our technical difficulties. But again, we are talking to a man in the land who provides great insight and invaluable information for us. So Winky, thank you for doing that. And Winky, just do me a favor, be careful in the snow, maybe don't drive and <laughs> and have a great week there in Israel. Yes, we can always blame the weather, can't we? <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> Thank you very much again for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, as we continue our investigative reporting, really examining current events and what's happening in our world, and we're staying in Israel, and we're, I want to talk to one of our broadcast partners over the years. We've been in his home. He was a good friend of my father. Uh, graciously, he has appeared on videos that we have done, our DVD projects that we have put together. Itamar Marcus. Itamar, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It, it was always a pleasure to, to talk with your dad and a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. And I understand that uh, Israel is getting the first snowfall of the season, really. Yes. In fact, it's already been a few hours and uh, the whole country is <laughs> celebrating our white because many years we don't really have snow except for in the uh, Mount Hermon in the north. And now it's covering Jerusalem and uh uh, where I live in uh, in Judea, so it's great. Well, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you stay safe during this process. Uh, so staying on our, our topic of uh, this weekend's program, I know that you as an organization and your uh, website, palwatch.org, and I encourage all of our listeners to go to that website to follow up what Itamar Marcus and his team are doing as they are uh, really watching and hearing truthfully what's coming out and reporting truthfully about what's coming out of the Palestinian Authority or the Palestinian organizations, wherever they might be. You had an article on your website that the Palestinian Authority accused you, Palestinian Media Watch, of incitement for exposing the truth about its education. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we, um, we did a report on a Fatah. Fatah is the political party of the mainstream, of the so-called moderates of Mahmoud Abbas. 
and they have a youth group, and the youth group has a magazine, and we discovered this uh, a few months back, and we went back and studied the last seven years of this magazine, and we found the most horrific, horrific uh, hate promotion uh, in this magazine. It literally creates a world and a history that never exists. It turns the Palestinians into a 5,000-year-old people. Of course, they're, they're really just, just, Somehow it was created, uh, you know, by Yasser Arafat, really, sometime last century. The Jewish people, they say, never had a history in the land. They said it's all fake. They never were here, not their grandfather, not their ancestors, no one. Uh, we have, therefore, no right to exist as a state, and therefore they have a right to fight for us, to fight us and kill us. Uh, literally, it's, 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 and we exposed this. We did a full report. I presented it in Norwegian Parliament. I'll be send, presenting it in Congress as soon as mm. uh, the COVID slows down a bit. I'll be traveling from, from Israel to, to Congress and other countries. Um, and let people know what the Palestinian Authority really, the moderate, the ones who, who Washington wants to recognize as peace partners, what they're teaching their people. They're teaching their kids that it's heroic to kill Israelis. I'll give you an example. There's a story in the in the magazine in one of the one about uh, a prisoner who they talk about the most heroic, wonderful prisoner. A great example. Um, he had the most beautiful smile. And who is this guy? This is a guy who took his car, saw an Israeli woman, 26 year old young lady, mm. uh, in a bus stop, and he ran her over. And when she didn't die, he jumped out of his car, and while she was lying on the floor helpless, he went and stabbed her to death. Mm. Uh, so he ended up in prison, and this is the person who this magazine calls uh, heroic, a heroic prisoner with, this, with the great smile. Now, we reported this, and then, of course, the Israeli press reported on it, and uh, they went and saw the articles in the Israeli press. And they said, it's all incitement against them. Now, they didn't say it was inaccurate. They didn't say the translations were wrong. They didn't say anything. In fact, they quoted a lot of the things that I said in the report. Um, and that's the irony here. Our exposing the truth about the Palestinian Authority, their hatred and their terror promotion, and, and their calling for their people to kill Israelis, when we expose this, they say we're inciting against them, even though every single word of it is, is just quoting their precise uh, hate promotion. Why is this so prominent in their thinking? Because that's what they're all about. The, the Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, never, ever told their people that they're going to live beside Israel. They've been telling them all along um, that they're going to get Israel weaker, they're going to get Israel smaller, they're going to force us to get smaller in size with international pressure, including mm -hmm. the United States that wants us to go back to borders that are indefensible, and then Israel will be destroyed. That is the Palestinian Authority goal. That is the Fatah goal. Give an example. There's a person named Abbas Daki, who's a senior Palestinian Authority Fatah leader. He was interviewed in Al Jazeera, and he said, our goal is a greater Palestine, meaning erasing Israel, he said. Uh, that's our goal. That's the president's goal, he said, President, meaning Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the PA. And then he said, but we tell the world we want to get them to the 67 borders because everyone knows Israel can't survive those borders. And he says, you can say it to yourself, you can't say it to the world. But of course, we were listening and we reported mm -hmm. on this, but that's their worldview. Get Israel weak enough, weak enough, weak enough, till eventually uh, they'll be able to destroy us. So uh, we have to expose this, we have to fight against this, we have to make the United States and the, the European countries who support the Palestinian Authority 
recognize that if they want to destroy Israel, go ahead, support the Palestinian Authority. If they really want Israel to survive, then they have to have a completely different policy. Lately in the news, on the uh, Times of Israel, the Jerusalem Post, uh, there are many people expounding upon the settler versus the Palestinian violence. What do you see in this conflict between the settlers versus the Palestinians? So what we're seeing here is something very, a completely, completely distorted view of what's going on. But you have the violence coming from the Palestinian side is uh, our knives, um, Molotov cocktails, um, shootings, uh, murders of, of Israelis. And the, 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 every month you, you, you have hundreds of, of cars that are hit by stones. Uh, sometimes they're fatal. Sometimes they're just serious injuries. Because um, when you're driving at uh, uh, 50 miles an hour or 60 miles an hour and you get hit by a stone in the window, mm-hmm. it could kill you. And, and there have been many people who have been killed by these things. This is what Israelis face daily all through Judea and Samaria, what the world calls the West Bank. Um, and some people got fed up. And uh, they shouldn't have. And we're talking about a couple of, you know, probably a couple of dozen uh, or dozens of, um, of youth who said if the you know if the police aren't going to protect us then we're going to we're going to uh, take revenge mm. and they called this movement literally revenge movement it's not to get it's just if you're going to do this to us then we're going to go back and we're going to throw stones at you also that's all so they shouldn't be doing it it's outrageous um, and that's why the Israeli press makes so much noise over it because in the past uh, Israelis just depended on the army just depended on police but it's getting so so terrible out there with so much Palestinian violence that some some kids uh, are taking uh, taking things in their own hand and they shouldn't and we have to condemn it. Um, but I, I understand their frustration mm-hmm. and and to to make it seem like it's coming out of a vacuum is is really a distortion of history. It would be as if you know there was you know there, there was a bank robbery and, and you know they were shooting and shooting and all of a sudden a policeman comes and starts shooting at the shooters and all they do is film the you know him shooting the shooter. <laughs> That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Now um, they shouldn't be doing it, but. Uh, it, like I say, it didn't start in a vacuum. It's been years. Do you know how many years? The uh, you know, we're talking about essentially since the beginning of the Palestinian Authority, mm. since it was established, we have been suffering on the roads uh, from hundreds of thousands of stone throws. You know, you know, since then, and Molotov cocktails. And everybody said, okay, wait for the army, wait for the police. And the fact that finally people started, you know, saying, you know, enough, I think it's actually an indication of how much patience the Israeli populace has and the Israeli population has. Um, again, it's not justified, but I understand where it's coming from. Yes, and this conflict really began, I mean, you could go back as far as 1948, the War of Independence, but really 1967 with the reunification of the city of Jerusalem in the hands of the Jewish people, rightfully, and then making it their capital. We've seen this conflict going on, and I know that you face this all the time when you're driving out. Do you see this as a a problematic uh, problem of the Israeli government right now? Part of the the Israeli government is a very strange coalition, and the left-wing parties, including the Arab party that's there, have ended up having a dominant role and they're making incredible demands on the rest of it. And, and, and part of the reason and, and part of what's happening is they are putting the blame mm. on these kids. Now, again, they're blaming the kids rightfully, but why don't they do something more? Why don't exactly. they talk about the real problem? Um, but because the government uh, is so 
uh, left wing right now. And yeah. really, um, many of them would, would uh, many of the people who are part of the government, well, they, they would like to destroy the Jewish populations of Judea and Samaria, the Arab parties, the Earth parties. They would like it to turn into a Palestinian state, which of course would be lethal for 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 Israel, uh, and, and that's why I hope you know it will never happen. But uh, that's what they want, and they say this openly. So of course they're going to be against anyone who's defending themselves. Yeah, the, t- the Israeli government definitely is tiptoeing around this issue right now. Well, you uh, put an article on your website. Uh, obviously, it has a, it rung a bell with me and our listeners, uh, as I put it on our website for uh, one of the top 10 stories for people to go and read. But I just want your take on it. Uh, the the uh, Title of the article was Palestinians Reinvent Jesus in Their Own Image as a Terrorist. Uh, tell me a, a little bit more about how you found this out and what your thoughts are on this. The Palestinian Authority, like the Palestinian people who, who were, like I say, created last uh, century by Yasser Arafat really as a terrorist organization. And after years of terror, uh, they became, uh, started to recognize or identify as Palestinians. Um, the leadership wanted to give them a history. They wanted to give them roots mm. in the land. So what they did is they said that, that the Jewish people had no roots in the land. There never was a Jewish history. There never was a temple. I mean, it, it, you know, there never was a Jewish you know, coin with Hebrew writing. There have been thousands of coins with Hebrew writing. There, mm. There's the Arch of Titus, which shows the Roman soldiers mm-hmm. carrying away the candelabra from the temple. Mm. Um, and, but yet the Palestinians lie to their people. They say there never was a Jewish people in the land. Um, but there was a 5,000-year-old Palestinian people. And to give them even more prestige, they come and they say that since there were no Jews, and Jesus was a Judean, he was a Jew, uh, once there were no Jews here, they say, well, why don't we turn Jesus into a Palestinian? And that's what they did. They created him in their own image. Now, in their image, the, the greatest people, uh, the greatest Palestinians are terrorists. Mm. Uh, they're the ones who are in jail. They're the ones who get the highest salaries because they're in jail. Um, for murdering, that they're in jail for, for murder and they're in jail for a long time, they'll be getting four times the average Palestinian salary. This is what the Palestinians do. They, they turn the murderers, the terrorists, into their heroes, um, and they call them the ones who, are, who, who die fighting Israelis, they call shahids. Shahid's a martyr, a martyr, but it's, not, it's much more than just a martyr. A shahid is in, is in paradise, married to 72 virgins, and mm. he, he brings blessings to 100 members of his family. I mean, it's it's this whole this whole crazy business about the about the shahid, and they said that Jesus is a shahid, which means they're saying that Jesus is in paradise with seventy two. I mean, it's just an hour. It's insulting to Christians. It's insulting to Christianity. And then they also said that he's a fidai. A fidai is a self sacrificing fighter. Well, that's the term that the Palestinians use for terrorists and terrorist murderers. So, but but they when I wrote in the article that they're creating him in their image. They don't think they're insulting him by turning him into a terrorist. Mm. Because for them, that's the ideal. That's the ideal. Someone who goes and he kills Israelis, kills Jews, is a terrorist. So that's why they say Jesus was a fide. Now, of course, it's, it's ridiculous, but what are they trying to do? They're trying to give themselves roots in the ground. So they take you know, one of the most famous people of history and one of the most renowned people of history, and they turn him into a Palestinian, tell their people he is our... Uh, you know, we're, we're descendants of Jesus. He was a Palestinian. He was the first Palestinian, first Palestinian martyr, first Palestinian freedom fighter. It's just, uh, it's, it's a joke. 
and yet the Palestinian population is growing up with with these lies. Uh, yeah. It's literally a recreation of history. Yes, it's uh, it is a recreation. It's misinformation. And if you really go back. We trace from the Palestinians of today, the descendants, they are the descendants of the Edomites. Well, and that goes all the way back to Esau, Jacob and Esau, the twins of Isaac. When Esau left, he went to the Mount Seir region of what is modern day Jordan. They became the Edomites. When they were kicked out by the Nabataeans, they went to the southern part of Israel to the Negev where they became the Idumeans. And if anybody knows the history, Herod the Great was an Idumean. And Herod the Great, he had every young boy under the age of two killed because the wise men from the east came looking for the king of the Jews. So if you know history, I mean, it's very important that people understand history. But of course, we know that the Palestinians of today, they're rewriting history, misinformation in order to develop really sympathy from the world, correct? Exactly. Sympathy for the world and also an identity. They want their children to believe that they have the right and Israel doesn't. So they have to create these lies. Yeah, very, very interesting. Inamar, thank you so much. Thank you for being really, I mean, we all play different roles and trying to shed light on what's happening in the world. And people have to have a worldview. They have to understand what's going on as to why the world is acting as it is, whether it be the United States, Israel, Russia, European Union, all of those nations. And I thank you for playing your part in, uh, with your website, palwatch.org. And uh, I do wish you well during this snowstorm and this time of the season. And uh, I hope that your family stays well as well. Thank you very much. And uh, same the best to you as well. Thank you. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and his teaching on the prophecies of Ezekiel 33 through 39. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. along with my brother Rick. We are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And really, Rick, when you look at it, there's so much information in the scriptures that really do help us to understand the times in which we're living. Wouldn't it be great if we had a website where people could go where they could find out this information? Well, we actually do, Jimmy. Now that you mention it, we do have prophecytoday.com. If you go there, uh, you'll be able to listen to the program. You'll be able to enter act with us. You could send us questions. You can subscribe to our newsletters. Um, you could look at our materials. But yeah, we would love for you to engage with us by going to our website. And we also have our daily devotions that people can read there. I, I think that's uh, very important in our world in which we're living and understanding why the world is acting as it is. And today, on our program, we'll be taking a look at our Legacy Series. And I've had so many people have sent us emails, Rick, about how much they enjoy the Legacy Series. I was looking over his notes uh, in his Bible from what he's teaching on this week, and so much of it is so relevant especially for today, especially for what's going on in the world right now. Remember to bookmark that address, prophecytoday.com. Well, this week on our Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, we want to study with you the events that lead up to the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation. But first, let us remind you how the entire book of Ezekiel unfolds. Ezekiel is divided into two parts. The first part is the first 32 chapters. It's a message of retribution. Retribution. Ezekiel lays out for us the message that God gave to him to give to his people 
and the neighbors, the enemies of the Jewish people. Chapters 1 to 24 is a message of retribution to the Jews. And then chapters 25 to 32 is a message of retribution to the neighbors of the Jewish people. Chapter 33 then begins another series of messages. This would be the messages of restoration. He's going to restore the kingdom people, the Jewish people, and he's going to restore their practices, the kingdom practices. Chapter 37 is the deal that helps us to get underway. It's the first prophecy that is of major importance. By the way, look back at chapter 33 just a second. Chapter 33, I want to show you what happened. Verse 22. Now, when the hand of the Lord was upon me in the evening, before he that was escaped from Jerusalem, it's talking about, had opened my mouth until he in the morning, and my mouth was open, and I was no more dumb. God loosens his tongue and gives him a message of restoration. Chapter 37, it's the valley of dry bones. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as he commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and his bones came together, bone to bone. Verse 8, and when I had behold, lo, sinew and flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them from above, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, then he said, preach unto the wind. Verse 10, so I prophesied at the commandment. And uh, breath came in unto them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now that's apocalyptic literature. What in the world is it talking about? Bones coming together, flesh coming on the bones, breath of life being breathed into them. It's a three-part prophecy. The bones coming together are the regathering. The flesh coming on the bones are the restoration. And the breath being breathed into them is regeneration. Regeneration, regathering, restoration of whom? Well, how did I tell you to interpret apocalyptic literature? Keep reading. Look at verse 11. I went to verse 10. Look at verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. He's talking about the Jews who had been scattered to the four corners of the earth. I'm going to find them and bring them into the land. Go back to chapter 34. Chapter 34 of the book of Ezekiel. I'm not giving you a complete teaching on Ezekiel. I'm trying to whet your appetite, but I'm trying to show you how this is key to understanding what God's going to do. Verse 11, chapter 34. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I even I will both search out my sheep and seek them out. Middle part of verse 12. So I seek out my sheep and will deliver them from all the places where they have been scattered. Verse 13. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from their countries. Verse 14. I will feed them in a good pasture. Verse 15. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down. Verse 16. I will seek that which was lost. Do you hear me repeating a phrase? I will. The Lord is telling the Jewish people. I will. If you read from verse 11 all the way to verse 31, you'll see that God says it 18 times. I will find my people where they have been scattered. I will gather them in. I will bring them into their land. I will feed them like a good shepherd feeds his flock. I will. Look, it settles if he says one time. What about if he says it 18 times? You better be paying attention. Go to chapter 36. He talks about the land in chapter 36. You see, what is going on is I'm going to bring the people from all over the world. It's called Aliyah. Say that word in Hebrew. Aliyah. Say it again. Aliyah. That means to go up to Jerusalem. But today it's applied to those Jews coming from all over the world. Since Judy and I moved into Jerusalem in 1991, in the first five years we were there, 1.3 million Jews from Russia came. You go to Jeremiah chapters 16, 23, 31. You'll see they'll bring them out of the north. And that's where Russia is. Because Ezekiel 5, 5 says, 
Jerusalem is in the center of the earth. That was an increase in the nation of 37%. A nation that was approximately three and a half million people became five million people in just a couple of years. I will. 35 times in chapter 36, it refers to the land. Notice what he says in verse 6. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land. Verse 8. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches. Verse 11. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. Look at here at the last part of verse 11. And I will settle you after your old estate, how it was with your forefathers. And I will do better unto you than at your beginnings, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He's going to bring him into the land. Why is he going to bring him into the land? A Jewish rabbi, when I was witnessing to him in my office in New York City, after I got finished, he said this. And his name was Mayor Kahana. I don't know if you ever heard of that rebel-rousing Jew. He was the one killed just before 9-11 by the same people who did the 9-11 thing. He said, when I got finished, he said, Jimmy, I want to tell you why God does anything for an Orthodox Jew like me or a born-again Christian like you. And he brought me to chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel. I do this for my holy namesake. When God could swear by nothing greater, he swore, I will bring the people back. God's not finished. And what have we been watching? Over the last 100 years, out of 108 nations of the world, Jews have been coming into the land. Jeremiah 31, 23 says, when I bring them into the land, I'll give them their pure language. Zephaniah 3.9, a parallel passage. When I pray them into the land, I'll resurrect their language. Awesome what he's doing. And I do it for my holy namesake. Let me just give you something. Chapter 35. Notice what chapter 35 says. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it. And say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. Who is Mount Seir? Chapter 36 of the book of Genesis. God tells Esau, no longer can you live here. Chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob and his family is going to live here. Chapter 36, verse 7. The riches of both of you boys is too much for this land. You're going to Mount Seir. Where's Mount Seir? Lower third of modern day Jordan. Who went there? Esau and the Edomites changed his name to Edom. Now that piece of real estate in biblical times is called Edom. It's called modern day Jordan. They went to a place called Petra. And there they headquartered. Now he says, I'm going to to destroy you, Mount Seir. But remember what God told Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau? Two nations are in thy womb. Jacob is Israel. Esau, the Palestinian people of today. He said, I'm going to wipe you out. Why is he going to wipe him out? Look here in verse 5. Because thou hast a perpetual hatred, Esau said in chapter 27 of Genesis, when my father dies, I will kill Jacob. Perpetual hatred and has shed the blood of the children of Israel. Verse 10. Because thou hast said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will so possess it. Hamas, on the front page of my website today, prophecytoday.com. Hamas, we will eliminate the Jewish state. We're not going to negotiate for a second state, Palestine. We'll eliminate the Jewish state, and all of Israel will be Palestine. 
This is so up to date. It's like reading the front page of the newspaper. Chapter 38, it talks about the alignment of the nations coming together. We just touched on that on chapter 11 of Daniel. And I said, Syria will be the first major player to move. Egypt will form a coalition in Daniel 11. I'm sorry, I just can't go through all of this. I'm trying to whet your appetite to study it yourself. But notice what it says up here. Verse 2, son of man, set thy face against Gog in the land of Magog. I told you that's modern day Russia. That's where Jephthah's son went to live. And the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, go to verse 6, Gomer, all of his bands into Garma. That's modern day Turkey. Tayyip Erdogan wants to be the pan-Islamic leader of the world. The spread of Islam stopped in Turkey. He wants to restart it. That's his whole purpose today. Look here in verse 5, Persia. Until 1936, Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan were called Persia. They have three different names today, but Iran still speaks Persian. Ethiopia and Libya. Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya. And if I could take you to Psalm 83, I would show you the state of Saudi Arabia and Lebanon will join. And these nations will come to destroy the nation of Israel. When will they come? Look at verse 8. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come up to the land that brought back out of the sword. Look at the last part of it. Where they are dwelling safely, all of them. Verse 11. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. And I will go up to them that are at rest, that dwell safely. When are the Jewish people going to ever dwell safely in the land? After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist appears. What does he do? Chapter 9, verse 27 of Daniel confirms a peace treaty. They think he's the Messiah. So they lay down their weapons. That's what verse 11 says. You know, at the time Ezekiel wrote this, 2,500 years ago, he didn't know about F-16s, Mark the tanks, the most sophisticated tank in the world. He didn't know about Apache attack helicopters. He knew that the only way you would defend yourself was a wall around the city. So he says they'll be living in unwalled villages. And they will come under attack by a coalition of nations. What's the lowest common denominator of those coalition of nations? They're all Islamic. And that is key. They have to come to wipe out Israel. Joel, remember I talked about Garden of Eden? Joel 2 and 3 says, Largest army ever formed on the face of the earth will go to the Garden of Eden. They want to set up a caliphate. That's a worldwide kingdom. The Masdi, the Messiah in Arabic, is about to appear. Hamadanijad believes he's living in the apocalyptic age. That indeed, if he can bring about a catastrophe, what kind of catastrophe, Mr. Hamadanijad, will send an atomic weapon, a nuclear weapon of mass destruction into Israel. We can hit every target in there. Point of stage is set. What's God going to do? Verse 18, he says, in chapter 38, it will come to pass at that time, God shall come against the land of Israel. And they're going to come and he's going to destroy him. Look at chapter 39, verse 2. And I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee. What's he going to do? He's going to wipe out the Islamic world. That's key. Where's the Antichrist during this first three and a half years of the tribulation period? He's in Rome, Italy. He's building a false church. Islam doesn't go exist with a false church. They're an exclusive religiosity. So Islam has to be wiped out for God's plan to unfold. 9-11 was the beginning of the end. They're the major players still today. Rapture happens. Islam is key. But then they attack Israel. They are signing their death knell. Five out of every six. So that the Lord can set up a plan he has unfolding in the end times. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and his Legacy Series. 
In light of what we've been talking about on today's Prophecy Today weekend program, this fits right in with what is happening in current events. God's plan for the end times as foretold in Bible prophecy will be fulfilled. The Lord will bring the Jews into the land of their forefathers. And by the way, the land that the Jewish people have today is only 10% of what he will give them ultimately. When in the land, an alignment of nations will attack the Jewish state only to be destroyed by the Lord. The Jews are in the land and the nations of the Middle East are preparing to try to wipe Israel off the map. We don't let current events drive our understanding of Bible prophecy. However, after we study God's end time scenario, we can then look at current events and where we are on God's time clock for the future. Next week, as we continue our study of Ezekiel, we'll take you through the last eight chapters of the book, which gives us what I believe is the greatest evidence of the soon coming of Jesus Christ back to the earth. We'll study about the coming Jewish temple to be built in Jerusalem. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book. Kramer with Mission Network News. Tensions remain high in Ukraine where Western powers fear a Russian invasion. But Eric Mock with Slava Gospel Association says it's important to remember that Russia and Ukraine have been at war for years. People in eastern Ukraine still suffer from artillery fire and infrastructure damage. An invasion would likely move through this region first. But Mock says faithful churches in the war zone continue to show the love of Jesus. Pray for peace in Ukraine. And thousands of refugees have fled Afghanistan since the Taliban takeover. Greg Kelly with World Mission recently visited one of the camps in Pakistan. 35 people there died in the past two months from hunger and cold. But what they fled from was even worse. Many families at the camp lost someone to attacks by the Taliban. Kelly says the global church has an opportunity to help. Come alongside World Mission as they provide supplies in Jesus' name. You're listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, seems like we had a theme today and that theme comes right out of the prophet Ezekiel, his book. Uh, one of those three books, the main three prophetic books of the Bible, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. And as uh, we are looking at current events, it seems like things are coming right off of the pages of the prophet. They do, Jimmy. And talking with Ken Timmerman, it was really interesting. We look at uh, what's taking place in Russia, and it just hasn't happened necessarily overnight. You know, there's 
um, with a with a new administration in the United States and the way the administration handles foreign policy, for better or for worse, it seems to have given Putin kind of the liberty or maybe even the green light to start a process that could essentially be the trigger in the motion that basically sets this biblical scenario that's laid out in Scripture in Ezekiel and gets this whole process started. And that's what looks like what could be taking place in Russia right now. Yes. I know that we are all watching the news. Well, I, I think most people watch the news. If you do study Bible prophecy, you do study God's Word, you understand that uh, Russia and the leader of Russia, now at this very point in time, that would be Vladimir Putin, who would be making a move. You know, and I, I think back to something that you said there, Rick, you know, world leaders really are, and God is using world leaders to set events in motion. Had Donald Trump still been the president of the United States, and he uh, certainly stood up to Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin would feel free to make the moves and to possibly retake a lot of the Baltic states and to go into the Ukraine. And as he is, it looks like he's setting up to do, he wouldn't be able to do that. But with our current administration allowing and uh, not really taking a front and center role, it looks like the alignment of nations, really, as you said earlier in the program, the first domino could start to fall, and that being the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. And that was further bolstered by what Dave Dolan said, and he talked about Russia and Syria and how it seems like now Russia is distancing themselves from Israel and aligning with Syria, with Iran, and with these nations and basically, that's just taken straight out of the Scripture of what's going to take place after the rapture of the Church, as it's laid out in Ezekiel 38. Yes. When you see these things, and again, I, I encourage people, as we teach and we go to conferences and we teach Bible prophecy, I encourage people, just stick with what the Word says. Just stay steady, understand that the nations that God put in place all the way back in Genesis chapter 10, those very nations are at play today, and those are the nations of Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83, and they're coming into play, and it looks like we are really close. And as you said, Rick, uh, these nations, they attack Israel, they turn their back on Israel, and I believe that that is the second seal that's broken. Uh, the first seal, of course, being Revelation chapter 6, 1 and 2, man on a white horse, Revelation chapter uh, 6, verses 3 and 4. That's the man on a red horse, which represents war, and I believe that that's the war that we will see very soon now. We continued on, and we've talked to several of our broadcast partners today about the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. So we're looking ahead to Ezekiel 38 and something that's going to take place after the next main event on God's calendar events, which is the rapture of the church. But uh, the Holocaust kind of reminds us or, or, or points us backwards to um, 1948 and uh, another fulfillment of prophecy by the uh, the returning of the Jews to the land of Israel. Yes, that's uh, is the Valley of the Vision of Dry Bones. That's Ezekiel chapter 37. And Ezekiel was told to preach to those bones, and they came together, and, and the muscle came on the bones and came in skin. 
And it's part of a threefold prophecy. And the first two phases of that prophecy have been fulfilled. Of course, the third phase where life is breathed into these people, that's the new covenant that Jesus Christ, uh, that God made with the Jewish people, and where he will become their God. And that is still yet to be fulfilled. But we are watching these events as they're taking place and how it really is setting up for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And again, we look at all these actors that are in this situation, and we look at the Palestinians, and we talked with Winky Madad a little bit about this, and then, of course, Itamar Marcus of Palestinian Media Watch, and the Palestinians and the Israeli Jewish people, they still both have a role to play in the end times, and there's much spoken of both of these groups in the Bible, isn't there? There sure is. This conflict begins all the way back with the twin sons of uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau and and continues all the way today. And I reminded Itamar Marcus of that because the Palestinian people were were basically uh, a name that was given to the Arabs that lived in the land of Israel um, after 1948, uh, specifically really after 1967 with the reunification of the city of Jerusalem is when the Palestinian people um, that term comes to, to be with Yasser Arafat. Well, their lineage and their history and their descendants go all the way back to Esau and this conflict that began all the way back in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Uh, we're seeing that, and it will be played out, that the prophecy of the Edomites, or the I, and we trace it to the Palestinians of today, they will be wiped out as if they never were. And that's the little book of Obadiah. And that does take place at the end of the tribulation period, Rick. Well, Jimmy, we look at this whole program has been kind of a combination combination of fulfilled prophecy and prophecy that looks like it's on the verge of being fulfilled. So we take this, and God has put prophecy in the Bible to encourage us. So what should our view of current events and looking at them in the light of Bible prophecy, what should that encourage us to do? Well, you know, it's interesting. Today just happened to be, as we were following through our series and our legacy series, the book of Ezekiel, specifically those chapters from 34 to 39. You know, and these are scriptures that have been given to us, and not only to us, but they were given to uh, to the Jewish people through history. They were recorded. Jesus referred to them. He gave those to his disciples. And all of that information was there for them, especially Peter and Paul in the early church, to help them, to encourage them to live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world. Rick, we are so close to the next event on God's timetable, which is the rapture of the church. And seeing the events that are taking place today, these are setting up events that will take place after the rapture of the church. That really should help us to live in expecting for that rapture to take place today. Well, Jimmy, after you say all that, and after we look at what's going on and we look at God's prophetic word, I guess there's nothing left for us to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.